0: Last week, right before verse 22, we talked a lot about Sabbath and Jesus' efforts to try to reinstill or restore, if they'd ever had it and had lost it, or perhaps they'd never had it, a sense of proportion in the understanding of the Pharisees and those others that might have been roundabout and listening about what the Sabbath was intended to be for. It wasn't intended to be an additional burden laid upon people's shoulders. Uh, or even necessarily uh, an additional responsibility. It was intended to give people rest. But moving on to the very next lesson, if you will, in verse 22, it says, Then was brought unto him one possessed with the devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Is not this the son of David? But when, when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. Now, notice what's going on. The people were still kind of marveling and coming to terms with who Jesus was. It wasn't really noised abroad yet that this was Messiah Uh, that this was the Son of God. It wasn't necessarily accepted on a large scale. So they were still marveling, and that's why they were asking that question among themselves in verse 23. All the people were amazed. They were still seeing the things that He was doing and trying to take it all in, make sense of it. Now they saw Him, um, running roughshod over the Sabbath. They thought, because of what they had been taught concerning the Sabbath and, and how they'd been brought into a, it had been turned into a kind of a point of bondage with them. Uh, or at least the Pharisees, it seemed that the Pharisees would have that to be the case. But now they saw him healing a person who was blind and mute. The guy couldn't see, the guy couldn't talk, and if that wasn't bad enough, he was possessed by a devil. And that doesn't help. Demon possession really doesn't help at all. And so they saw Jesus heal him so that the man could see again, he could speak again, and so that's why they were asking between themselves, is not this the Son of David? Isn't this the Messiah? Isn't this... They were still... It, they were hesitating to believe it. And while to us it might seem like a no-brainer, you have to keep in mind where we've been raised and when we've been raised. We've been raised in a nation that still mostly believes in God. We've been raised in a nation that still... Um, we still view God and perceive God within the Christian mindset, okay? These people had been living with a prophecy for centuries. And when you're living with the promise of a prophecy for centuries, the moment of revelation doesn't always come quickly. When you've been looking forward to it, when you've been dreaming of it, wanting it, desiring it, and the Jews are still the same way today. They're still the same way today. And that's not a bad thing. It's just that, again, when, when, you're, when your whole nation is looking forward to one thing for so long, then the realization can be slow in coming like the sun slowly rising up over a horizon. It's, it doesn't always come quickly. And so they were asking that and still marveling over it. But when the Pharisees, here verse 24, when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. I mean, these guys had no limit. They had no limit at all uh, to the insults and the, the depths of undermining and trash talking that they were willing to stoop to. These guys that were supposed to be paragons of the law and of righteousness. And then their characters revealed again and again and again when Jesus When Jesus is around and it it, it occurs to me even now, just now it occurs to me that a lot of times those who would be perceived as being the most upright and righteous. They, in fact, when someone who's really got the light is around, they tend to expose the frauds as being frauds without even trying. There's just something about it. You have a counterfeit bill laying right next to the genuine article. And the counterfeit bill standing alone might fool a lot of people. Often does fool a lot of people. But when you lay it right next to the real thing, then the inconsistencies and the flaws are that much more evident. So it is with false righteousness. When you have people that would be virtuous or would be perceived as virtuous and all of that, they may put on a convincing act for a while. But when the real deal comes around, Oh, wow. It tends to expose fools and frauds just by being there. And everything about Jesus exposed the frauds, everything about him. When he taught, the people marveled because he taught having authority. That's using the Bible's own language, having authority and not like the scribes. That tells me that the scribes taught on credit, that they really didn't know and understand the spirit of what it was that they were dealing with. And so they were not doing right by the word as they should be. And that's our prayer every time that we gather here and preach and teach that we do right by the word of God, as well as by the spirit of God, as well as by everyone that's here. So they were marveling, and then the Pharisees chimed in with the usual fault-finding. He says, well, sure, he's casting out devils, but the only way he's doing it is by the power of the prince of devils. Now, that's just stupid. Really, that's just a stupid thing to say, and it kind of reveals how desperate Jesus' enemies were starting to get. Does it sound like certain other debates that are going on in American society today? You know, when you have somebody that really lands on the truth, then the worst of human character comes out. That's why you see a lot of things coming, uh, coming to the surface now. You didn't see during eight. Years, you know what? We're just going to deal with this. Okay? Can we do this? It's a, it's a it's a pretty clear it's a pretty clear comparison. Eight years under Obama, you never saw or even heard of Antifa, did you? You didn't hear about a lot of the things that were going on. Why? Because that side of the political fence was in power, and so they were virtue signaling right, left, and center and impressing everybody with, uh, with their delusion of a moral high ground. But then the tables turned, and it started tearing off all the masks of the hypocrites and revealing the monstrous tyranny that abides in these people's hearts. And it is every bit as bad as it looks. It really is. It's nasty. It's nasty. Well, it was kind of the same way in a certain, from a certain point of view. It was kind of the same way here. Jesus was on the scene doing real miracles, accomplishing real work for God, and being genuinely upright and virtuous and holy. And so it was exposing the frauds in all of their fraudulence. And so Jesus, verse 25, And Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? And if I, by Beelzebub, cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. There were exorcists among the Jews. There really were. Exorcism wasn't something that was exclusive to the Roman Catholic Church and to silly movies that come out of Hollywood. Exorcisms were a real thing and they were practiced by the Jews because the Jews understood that there were spirits and that some of those spirits were unclean and that they could have uh, terrible influences on people. And so exorcisms existed long long before the church. You You don't read about them a whole lot in Scripture, but you do find them in some places. But Jesus says, if Beelzebub cast out devils... By whom do your children cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come unto you. Now let's stop right there. Because there's a couple of lessons going on here. There's one in these verses that we've just read, and then there's another lesson just past that beginning in verse 29. We'll get to that in a moment. The first lesson is that division causes the collapse of absolutely everything. And that's what Jesus was saying here. Now, there's a, couple of, there's a couple of ways to to, to dissect this and, and bring out some usable stuff here for us. This is good stuff. Uh, and one of them is they were accusing him of casting out devils by the prince of devils, by using the power of the prince of devils to cast out devils. And Jesus points out how ignorant that really is. And he, he points that out with this very first statement. He says, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. So in other words, Pharisees, if I'm casting out devils by the prince of devils, then the devil's own kingdom, the prince of devil's own kingdom, Satan's own kingdom, is going to come crashing down awfully fast and has probably already fallen. And if you look at the state of the world today, then you know that that's not the case. That's not the case. It would be great if it was. But then, you know what, there's a slight little left turn that I want to make on this because... This is worthy of consideration, okay? Now God is infinite and God is timeless, and He's from eternity past to eternity. For eternity future. He has no beginning of days, He has no ending of life, and we understand all of that. okay? And so the eternal perception of time is very different from our perception of time. And so, boy, how do I frame this? Could it be that the devil's kingdom is divided? And that's one reason why that it will come crashing down in due time. And consider for a moment, if you will. And if this is all just coming off the top of my head, then take it with a grain of salt. But it's worthy of thinking of. All right, let's look at the let's look at the state of our nation, and let's look at the folks in the middle of all the extremes that's going on. Okay, you've got people on the far ideological left that would love to bring America into a socialist and communist totality or totalitarianism. They'd love to have that. Want to take away freedoms. They want to bring people under bondage. Govern everything. Govern your speech. Govern the way that you think. Yet somehow, as much as they despise conservative Christians, or Christians in general, as much as they despise a lot of what is even naturally good and they want to bring in all manner of confusion and corruption and devastation, they want to destroy the family, pollute it, twist it around, turn it into something positively vile, let alone, or not just unnatural, but absolutely abominable. Yet they seem to have an enormous amount of sympathy for Islam and Muslims who would... In an, Islamic, in an Islamic society would absolutely kill a lot of these people on the ideological left, wouldn't they? They throw homosexuals off of rooftops in countries like Iran and Afghanistan. They hang adulteresses. They hang them in Iran. And Iran's not a third world nation. It's, it is a Very developed nation. It is very much first world. They just have a mentality that's still kind of third world. How is there any sympathy between these groups that would seem to be absolute polar opposites of one another? You would think, right? Well, they're both of the devil, aren't they? Maybe for different reasons, but they're both in the devil's camp. The devil's driving these folks, the devil's driving these folks, and it's, you know, it always, always boils down to control, ultimately. It really isn't about being liberal because that speaks of freedom. It's about bringing other people under bondage. Could it be that the devil's house really is that divided? Now I'm not saying that that's the only reason why they're gonna fall. God is infinitely powerful, the devil is not. The devil is not God's opposite because that would imply that He is also timeless and eternal, and He's neither. And it would imply that He's also omnipotent, and He's not. He never has been. He's a created being, and He will meet His end in a rolling sea of fire. Amen? Okay, but it's something to think about. You have all these different groups that are vying for control of everybody else, and people that just want to live simple and quiet lives, and be the quiet and the upright and the righteous in the land. Not trying to take over and, and cause destruction. But you have so many people trying to control us. But they're at odds with one another. Something to meditate on. Something to consider. Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. It's true in governments. It's true in homes and in marriages. It's true in communities. It's true in churches. And churches have absolutely become divided on everything from doctrinal lines to policy lines to what in the world kind of carpet do we want to install? That still blows my mind when you hear when you hear things like that. The whole church came apart at the seams because you know, there was one straw that broke the camel's back and then the next thing you know it's people are fleeing like rats off of a burning ship and that's that's a terrible thing but it's true division destroys everything that it touches it destroys leadership teams it destroys families it destroys everything nothing divided can stand and history is replete with examples of that you can go back in the old testament and find examples of that the daniel image in the the vision of the the giant there the feet that were made of clay and iron was it that was two so, and they were smashed they were broken but the feet were a mixture of clay and of iron and that was a metaphor in that vision that was revised rome wasn't it there's revived greece and revised rome or do i have that the other way around Rome is last. So okay, so there's there's Greece, it's a future kingdom, and then Rome is a future kingdom, and there are future iterations, not as they were in times past, because Greece and Rome both had their they both had their golden ages and then they fell, and but they're coming around again, just in a different form. And so that lends itself to a lot of different prophecies. But the Medo-Persian Empire, however that fit in that Daniel image, that thing fell apart because it was divided. You can't have a multicultural society and expect that society to stand. Germany is experiencing that even now. And they're finally waking up and starting to stir some of the, uh, uh, stir some of their common sense to, to, fix some of the problems that they've allowed to come in. It was a great multicultural experiment and it has failed. The only reason that it's lasted in America as long as it has been is because while we've invited multiple cultures to come be a part of the American experience, we have always tried to integrate them. And that's why we have a constitution and the kind of governmental system that we have. Not to turn this into a physics lesson. The lesson here is that division destroys. And we're just giving examples of that. Well, you can bring people in and they can be from lots of different places, but if they have to come all under unto unto the same standard. If you do it right, here's your constitution. And the whole, thing, the whole thing can stand. If you do it wrong, then things start to come apart at the seams. And that's happening in America now, too, because we're allowing people to come in, but we're not integrating them. We're not assimilating them into American society. We're not bringing them under the new standard and reminding them and telling them in point-blank language, very clearly, plainly, hey, if you love that country that you escaped from so much, why don't you just go back to it? I don't hang a German flag from my rearview mirror. I could care less about my German heritage I speak barely two dozen words of that language. And it's an ugly language on top of that. And the food's heavy and it's just not good. You know, I'm not in love with German culture, so I don't advertise that. I was born in Nebraska and I'm from the United States of America. I'd rather just be an American. Why can't we all be the same way? Puerto Rican flag, Cuban flag, or wherever else. You see a lot of those down in Florida. Well, I'm from this, I'm from that, I'm from the other. Well, good for you. Can you just be an American? We'd have fewer problems, right? And that has nothing to do with race. It has everything to do with culture. It's nothing to do with skin tone. It has nothing even to do with religion. It has everything to do with culture. Division destroys. It happens in churches. It happens in absolutely anything that it can possibly touch. You even see it in people's minds when their minds become divided, don't you? Have you ever met somebody who was indecisive? all the time about everything and couldn't make a decision about anything. Their life comes down around their ears. Their personality gets divided. They suffer a psychological split or a psychological break. You have a genuinely broken person and it takes an enormous amount of work to put that kind of a person back together again. Division destroys. It absolutely destroys. A divided heart is no different And so Jesus says, as Satan cast out Satan, he's divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? And so on. He completes that point. But then in verse 29, well, no, let's take it from let's take it from verse 28. But if I cast out devils by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come unto you. Or else, how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods except he first bind the strong man and then he will spoil his house. Now let's stop right there because he, he, it's not a complete segue, but remember what Jesus was doing when this began, when the Pharisees began finding fault. Jesus was casting devils out of a man that was possessed. And so it stands to reason that he's now going to talk a little bit about the nature of possession. Now what does he say here? How can one man enter into a strong man's house? How can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods or rob him except he first bind the strong man? There are believers that worry about demon possession. Well, what if the devil comes and possesses me? He can't. He can't. Because even a believer that hasn't received the Holy Spirit, even a believer that hasn't received the the baptism of the Holy Ghost, still has a measure of the Spirit of God living in them. And in order for the devil or an unclean spirit or anything to indwell and possess a person, they've got to bind the strong man of the house, don't they? Does anyone know a devil that's stronger than the Spirit of God? Because I don't. There isn't any. And so a Christian living a Christian life, that's something that they never have to worry about happening to them. Now, if, if a believer turns their back on God, if a believer turns apostate and walks away from the faith and, and absolutely... Uh, Trashes everything that God has done in their life, or however you want to phrase that. If a believer wants to, if a person ends up doing that, and then they start messing around with things and opening doors in their mind to unholy forces and influences, well, then that's a different deal. That is a that is a whole different situation right there, because if a person turns apostate, the spirit of God departs. Well, then the strong man's not in the house anymore, is he? Well, what happens if I sinned last week and I just haven't prayed for repentance yet? But the the conviction is killing me, and I just haven't got to it, or something like that. Hold on, let's not get lost in in let's not get lost too much in the details. Apostate is apostate. Apostate is someone who refuses, absolutely refuses. Apostate isn't someone who's under conviction because they've blown it and the, and God's. Trying to reel them back into the fold, so to speak, or, or because they're on the edge, or they're one of, they're, they're the one that the, that the shepherd leaves the 90 and 9 for because we're stupidly wandering around over by the edge of the cliff or where the wolves are or something like that. That's not an apostate. An apostate is someone who has absolutely thrown in that towel and said, I'm done, I renounce this, I'm finished with it. That is someone, and has then gone so far as to change their beliefs in many cases. Not in every case, but in many cases. So, it's not to say that someone who's in a place where they're just needing to get back to God and God's still dealing with them, not saying that they're in danger of being possessed by a devil. The whole purpose of me even bringing this up is to alleviate any concern on that matter. A spirit cannot possess A born-again believer, it can't happen because nobody is stronger than God. Period. End of story. He can't even enter into the house, let alone bind the strong man. It's like, oh, i got the Spirit of God in me and He's doing battle with the devil in me. That's a lie. That's Hollywood. That's nonsense. That's bad fairy tales. That's bad fiction. That's bad Christian fiction. And that's almost an oxymoron. I've found, in my experience, most of that stuff is pretty dodgy anyway. You don't know what kind of doctrinal standpoint they're coming from. They just want to write a story and sell it on the Christian market because they're not good enough writers to sell it on the secular market because the secular market is always more competitive in anything. And I hope I didn't kick anybody's sensibilities or offend anyone by saying that. But it's true in music. It's true in writing. It's true in literature. It's just true. Moving on. So possession can't happen. Possession of a Christian cannot happen. A- again, unless, unless that person has just absolutely put themselves out beyond the pale. But now let's move on. Verse 30, he makes a statement. It, it, it sounds like a standalone statement, but it's at the tail end of this thought. He says, let's actually go back and read that whole verse. He says, or else how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man and then he will spoil his house. He that is not with Me is against Me. And he that gathereth not with Me scattereth abroad. Wow, now there's a statement. There's a statement. Jesus is polarizing the board there, isn't He? He's polarizing the issue. He's making it very clear. You're either on My side or you're on the enemy's side. There's no spiritual Switzerland. There's no neutral ground. There's no neutral territory. That whole thing about living on the fence, riding the middle lane or something like that, or the middle line, it really is a myth. You've heard the phrase perhaps that indecision is itself a decision. Well, that's true also. When a person's undecided about whether or not to live for God, well, that's a decision in itself. They're deciding to forego they're deciding to not decide. That in itself is a decision. So there's no middle ground. Jesus makes it very clear: we're either on His side or we're on the enemy's side. So I'm a Buddhist, and I'm not part of any of that, and so I'm not really on one side or the other. You're on the enemy side because anyone who's not on Jesus's side is on the enemy's side, either as an let's use some modern military terminology, shall we? Either as a as a either as an active combatant or is just somebody who's passively not helping. Oh, ouch. That's a hard place to be. It's not a good place to be. We'll say, well, I never fought the church. Maybe you never actively fought them. But did we join it? Did we jump into the body of Christ and throw in what we could as far as effort or whatever the case may be? He that is not with me is against me. And he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Man, what's he talking about there? Are we gathering sheep to the fold? Or are we sending them running? I don't ever want to be the guy that's sending them running. I don't ever want to be that one. Wherefore, I say unto you, we're actually at a quitting time, but we'll give you just a quick preview and then we'll stop it for the night. Verse 31, wherefore, I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him. Neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Now that's pretty clear. It's very clear language. And there's at least two lessons that we can pull right out of these two verses. One, that it just isn't biblical to say that any sin can be forgiven. Not after reading this. Now we know that murder can be forgiven. God will forgive murder. God will forgive rape. God will forgive sedition. God will forgive theft. God will forgive lies. God will forgive violence. God will forgive uh, all manner of things. He'll forgive sexual sins, adultery, and, and so on. God will... God can forgive and will forgive any sin that is brought to Him for repentance, but we can't blow past what Jesus says here in very clear language, can we? Blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. Now, I'm going to stop it here. Be at the will of the Lord. We'll pick this up next week. We're going to go into some depth as to why, because that might be a question that pops into someone's mind. Well, why? 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 God will forgive me if I blaspheme the Father. He'll forgive me if I blaspheme the Son. Why won't He forgive me if I blaspheme the Holy Ghost? We'll talk about that next week, be it the will of the Lord. But there's another lesson in here too. It's a a, a secondary lesson. It's further support for the Trinity of our God. It's further support for the Trinity of our God. Because if He was all one, and there was no difference in personage between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, then we would have a glaring contradiction right here, wouldn't we? Because he says that blasphemy of the Father can be forgiven. Blasphemy of the Son can be forgiven. Blasphemy of the Holy Ghost won't be. And so if they were all the same person, then blaspheming the Father, you'd be blaspheming the Son and the Holy Ghost also, and that would make a man a reprobate. That would make a man a reprobate mind. Now the very first thing that happens a lot of times with people when the subject even gets brought up, the very first thing that happens with a lot of people when... The blasphemy of the Holy Ghost is brought up as a subject is the devil shows up and starts saying, you did that. You did that. You did that. You did that last week. You did that a year ago. You did that 10 years ago. You did that when you were a kid. And so your entire Christianity is complete false, uh, falsehood. It's hypocrisy. It's nonsense. You're a faker. You ought to quit right now. Listen to me. If you ever blasphemed the Holy Ghost with any knowledge or understanding whatsoever of what you were doing, you would be of a reprobate mind. You wouldn't even be in this house. You would have no interest in God. You would have no interest in the things of God. The Holy Spirit would never touch your heart or convict your conscience or or deal with you or comfort you or strengthen you. He wouldn't have anything to do with you. You would be utterly forsaken, a walking dead man just waiting for your body to catch up. And seeing as how that's evidently not the case, put your mind at ease just in case he comes around with that. You haven't done it or you wouldn't even be part of this. You wouldn't even want to be part of this. And so we'll pick it up next week, right here with verse 31. We'll talk a little bit more about that, not over much, because there's not a ton that needs to be said. The language is very clear. And then we'll move on from there about good tree, bad tree, good fruit, good fruit. You decide. Make your decision. Thank you for listening to Come to the Table, Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. Included in these presentations are red-letter studies on the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ, historical studies on the Old Testament, topical studies on biblical doctrines, and practical studies on Christian life. If you enjoyed this presentation, you can support our efforts by contributing at www.myntcc.org backslash giving.